right, you may be seated. Welcome. It's great to have all of you here at Byfield Parish today. It is such a privilege to celebrate Easter with all of you. I know we have some that are not normally here with us, maybe your friends, maybe your family. Maybe, maybe you were just looking for a place to celebrate Easter, and we are glad to have all of you here, whatever your reason is for being here. I do want to start by saying a big thank you. Many of us in this room had a fantastic, fantastic breakfast this morning. There was an Easter sunrise service and then a breakfast that followed. And the people that, that did that breakfast probably fed like, I don't know, like 60, 70 people. And they had to get here at, I think, like five in the morning to do that. So thank you to those folks who did that. Here at Byfield, over recent months, we've been going through the book of Exodus. This Old Testament book tells the story of Moses and the Israelites fleeing the slavery of Egypt for the land promised them by God. In the story of Exodus, we see a precursor to the story of the church and the Christians that make it up. We were enslaved by the hostile power of this world. God has set us free from this slavery. We are journeying with God to a promised land. Last Easter, I preached from the book of Exodus as well. That sermon was focused on how Jesus' victory over death and the grave was foreshadowed in the Israelites' victory over Egypt through God's power. In today's verses from Exodus, we'll see Jesus clearly foreshadowed yet again. Through this text, we see how necessary Jesus is for us to be in relationship with God. Let's turn now to Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 25. Those verses will be projected on the screen behind me, and they can also be found on page 56 in the Pew Bible. We will begin reading in Exodus chapter 19, Verse 16, hear the word of the Lord. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. 
And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, Amen, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. To understand what Easter is all about, why Jesus came into this world, was crucified, buried, and resurrected, you have to understand the relational impasse that exists without Jesus between God and man. This narrative highlights one significant aspect of why God and people struggle to be in relationship. On our own, we cannot be in a face-to-face relationship with God. We cannot stand in his presence. Our dynamic is the same as that of the Israelites. Knowing the dilemma of the Israelites, which is shared by all people, God makes a relationship possible with him through mediators. Moses was one such mediator. Jesus is the final mediator. On Easter, we celebrate that through the mediation of Christ, the relational division between God and man has been eradicated. Through Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, it is now possible for all people to be in a relationship with God as Jesus is. This is part of what we celebrate on Easter. In the verses we just read, the people of Israel tremble in the presence of God. They have good reason for doing so. God is terrifying. When God shows up in a physical way, which is called a theophany, the people present realize their absolute weakness and and insignificance. This happens pretty much every time God appears in Scripture. When Adam and Eve hear God coming after they ate the fruit, their fear causes them to hide. Ezekiel 1 spends the whole chapter describing what the physical manifestation of God looked like that the prophet witnessed. The final verse of the chapter says, Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Another prophet, Isaiah, has a similar response in the sixth chapter of the book that bears his name. Throughout the Bible, the people that see God respond with a similar fear. In many cases, in many of these circumstances, the reason for their fear, it's not a product of believing that God is out to get them, that he has some vendetta. The differential between them 
and God, it's just more than they can handle. Several years ago, I, I took my two oldest sons backpacking in New Hampshire. I think it was about three or four years ago. And we started up on this trail, and about a half mile from the trailhead, as you're going up this hiking trail, we crossed along some railroad tracks. And as we were crossing along the railroad tracks, I looked over, and you could just see a black bear just lumbering down the railroad tracks. It was, it was about 40 yards away. And it was, a, it was kind of a terrifying experience. It's not the first time that I've seen a black bear out in the woods, but I felt afraid. My fear, it wasn't tied to any malicious intent the bear had. He wasn't tying a napkin around his neck. <laughs> the bear just made me feel small and weak. I felt vulnerable in a way that I am not used to feeling vulnerable. And that feeling of vulnerability was exacerbated by the presence of my kids. I was concerned because I was in the presence of something bigger, stronger, and faster than me that also has some claws. If the bear did choose to charge, the best case scenario is that I would end up severely injured. The worst case scenarios all involve death. The feelings I had in the presence of that bear are insignificant in comparison to those felt by the Israelites when God physically manifested himself. God's power is unimaginably greater than a bear. Even the physical manifestations of God we read about in today's verses don't fully reflect his true might. The mountain shakes. A trumpet blares. God speaks to Moses as in thunder. But God, he's none of these sensations. He is so much greater. God is showing who he is to the Israelites, to the extent they can handle. If God actually fully revealed himself, none of them would survive. He shows himself in a way the Israelites can grasp without them being consumed. On our own, we are no different from the Israelites at the base of that mountain. None of us can stand in the presence of God. Our inability to do so is as much about what we are as it is about who God is. Every moment we continue to exist is dependent on God's mercy. People have a hard time reconciling ourselves to who we are. Subconsciously, pretty much everyone believes that they are important, that they matter by virtue of their existence. This is especially prevalent in the modern Western world. We idolize ourselves. We think everyone else should as well. When we are in love, we convince ourselves that nobody has ever felt this way. When tragedy strikes in our lives, we cannot 
conceive how it could have happened to us. While it is true our lives matter, because they matter to God, it is unclear why our lives would matter if they didn't matter to God. If there were no God, why would your life matter? There are, there are over 7 billion people in the world today. Even if you are one in a million, that means there are 1,393 people just like you in India. One random dude I found online said that the chemical ingredients that make up the average 170-pound person cost about $600, although some of us are definitely worth a little bit more than that. The vast majority of people, this is, this is a sad thought, will not be remembered two generations after their death. Apart from God, we are all just dust. The Bible tells us we were made from dust. Dust doesn't matter. Nobody cares about dust unless they are trying to sweep it up to throw it out. Our importance is absolutely a product of God valuing us and giving us life, there is no other basis. For me, this is always the, the challenge of speaking with people that, that don't believe in God. On some level, I can, I can understand the, the intellectual arguments and the, all of that. But then when I'm coming down to it, I just think, but, but you still think your life matters. But you still think love exists. What is your basis for that apart from the living God? The fact we are completely contingent comes into sharp relief when faced with God who is absolute. But we don't come into direct contact with God in the way today's verses describe very frequently. A person's existence normally feels more real to them than the existence of God. A common conversation that occurs between those who believe in God and those who don't revolves around experiencing God through human senses. The non-believer will point out that they cannot believe in a being they can't see or hear. Now, the believer has a variety of counter-arguments to this sort of questioning. They might point out that you can't see the wind, but you know it by its effects. Likewise, God may not be seen, but you know he's there by observing his impact on the world. While this is a true argument, God is not normally experienced the way a person experiences themselves. Because we experience the world primarily through physical means, this leads many to question if God is real. The issue with this thinking is that it assumes the spiritual is less real than the physical. When in fact, it is more real. Before anything existed physically, God existed spiritually. From a purely physical 
perspective. God can seem like a figment of the imagination. The opposite is actually true. We are figments of God's imagination. God imagined our world into existence. He is the I am. We cannot grasp God because we cannot grasp all existence is not primarily a product of physical processes. Instead, the underlying cause is spiritual. If God lacked imagination, none of us would exist. God is an artist as well as an architect. He takes pleasure in making his world and everything in it. The Israelites at the base of the mountain are at risk of perishing if they go to where God is on the mountain. God has set a boundary for their own protection. When the absolute nature of God, his holiness, comes into contact with the contingent nature of a person, that contingent nature is endangered. The people, they cannot withstand the fullness of God's presence. They will perish. God makes this point very clearly. Twice in verse 21 and 24, God warns Moses to make sure nobody comes into his presence without an invitation, lest he break out against them. Men's inability to interact directly with the Lord makes a relationship difficult. In today's verses, God is trying to form just such a relationship. To do so, there must be some means of overcoming the necessary separation between God and man. Throughout Scripture, God bridges the separation between His absoluteness and human contingency through representatives or mediators called for that special purpose. In these, rep in these verses, the representatives God has chosen for the people of Israel are Moses and Aaron. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Moses first, then Aaron, are invited into the Lord's presence. They don't presume to enter God's presence without being explicitly invited. If they did so, they would surely die. Even God's invitation to come into his presence is an act of mercy. Aaron and Moses, they can't just go up. God has to come down to them. He invites them to come to him. The full revelation of God would still be too much for them. Moses and Aaron they're still just men. God calls Moses and Aaron into his presence for a very specific purpose. Their role is to be intermediaries between God and the people of Israel. All the people can't go to where God has manifested himself. If they do, they won't make it. The same thing would happen if God 
goes to them. The divide between God and man is just too immense. While Moses is exceptional, he still exhibits the shortcomings that are common to man. The final verses of the book of Deuteronomy tell us, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. At the same time, the verses preceding those I just quoted tell of Moses' death before entering the promised land because of his failures as the Lord's representative. Humanity requires a more perfect mediator between us and God. The division between God and man hasn't abated. God's awesomeness has not changed since he manifested himself before the Israelites at Mount Sinai. If God came down physically in our midst today, you would be blown away. This building would not be able to withstand God showing himself in that way. Bricks would crumble, rafters would come crashing down. God hasn't changed. People haven't either. We are the same as the Israelites were that day, trembling at the foot of the mountain. Sometimes you will see a video of a person in the midst of a hurricane, tornado, earthquake, or wildfire. All human pretensions to power and control melt away in the face of such natural disasters. A face-to-face experience with God would leave us with our faces to the ground, pleading for our own survival in the midst of all-consuming power. If that sounds like too much for you, there's nothing I can do about it. We need a perfect mediator to stand between ourselves and God. Jesus Christ is that person. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is compared with Moses. Chapter 3 says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Later in Hebrews, we are told, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus is the only person that has ever lived that can perfectly serve as the intermediary all people require to be in a relationship with God. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. 
Jesus is the only person that has ever lived that can enter God's presence fully. He is the one who has seen the Father. He is the one that brings access to the Father, to us. Through Jesus, mediation is possible for us to be in a relationship with God the Father. This is no small matter. The separation between God and man is overwhelming. It causes the Israelites to tremble. They only knew in a small way what was before them on the mountain. God was so much more than lightning, loud thunder, and shaking ground. They nevertheless realized God was so much bigger and greater than they can handle. They needed a mediator. Moses could only serve this role in a limited capacity. For any of the traditions, the traditions are awesome. I, I look forward to, to eating some ham and some carrot cake later this afternoon. Hopefully all of you will have that experience as well. But the reason Easter is such a big deal is that on the cross, the division between God and man has been bridged by Jesus. That is why when Jesus died, darkness descended on the earth as it did when God appeared at Sinai. At the same time as this theophany of God, the curtain in the temple of Jerusalem tore in two. There is no longer any necessary division. Jesus is the perfect mediator that the Old Testament foreshadowed in so many ways. It is through Jesus Christ that we can stand in God's presence without fear. Any who join with Jesus Christ in faith are no longer contingent. We have been made spiritually alive. Jesus is risen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray for all of us here today. I pray that as we think about what you have done for us, what you've made possible through Jesus Christ as our mediator, that we remember what we were made for, that we realize how far we have fallen from that, Lord, how contingent we are, how limited we are as creatures that we cannot approach you on our own, but through Jesus Christ, we can come confidently into your presence, Lord. I pray that we would celebrate that great truth today and consider its application for the remainder of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.